I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you... Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin, sitting opposite me today via Zoom. Blake Harrison. Hi. Hello. Like, we right? said that as if it was going to be like a surprise. You were like, sitting opposite <laughs> me today via Zoom is... Well, it's the guy who's always opposite you via Zoom. There's no, there's no build-up. You're not like a magician revealing something. It's like, obviously, it's Blake. It's, oh, it's my like God, it's that guy. guy from the Inbetweeners. <laughs> Where did he come from? <laughs> uh, I mean, we've got a cracker today, haven't we? We've got a great show today. We've got... Oh, just, one of my favourite fighters, Meatball Money yeah. McCann. Um, oh, I've been a huge fan of hers for a long time. She is so charismatic. Trains out the same gym next gen as uh, as Paddy the Baddy. Uh, mm-hmm. And God, Pat, speaking of Paddy the Baddy, he's signed to the UFC. Congratulations yeah. to Huge. Paddy Pimblet. Huge news. We're so, so pleased for Paddy the Baddy. Let's hope he doesn't forget, you know... Those small people that were there before his uh, his ascendancy into the UFC. Let's hope he remembers everyone that was backing him beforehand, um, which I'm sure he will. He's a lovely bloke. Uh, that's just my way of trying to be like, yeah, come on, Paddy, do do come back on the show. We, I mean, we should say as well. The last thing he said to us was, "When I'm in the UFC, I'll come back on." Yeah, so, we're, uh, just so we're, we're holding we're holding you to it, mate. Yeah, verbal contract. That's a verbal contract. Exactly, so, mate. Uh, yeah. yeah, but on to today's right guest, uh, Meatball Molly McCann. In this this interview was was fantastic, wasn't it, Stu? Uh, just yeah, uh, it, absolutely incredible. You, I mean, Molly will talk about the persona that's in the octagon, and and then you know you get a real insight uh, into the beautiful human being. Um, Molly McCann is, um, you know, outside of uh, outside of that fight face going on when she steps into the the octagon. A real insight into her her upbringing and 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 training and the the, the full shebang. We go through the whole the whole journey, and uh, she was super gracious and 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 really really interesting and just ridiculously likable. Yeah. Well, I I think we've uh, kept people waiting long enough, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Here is our interview with Meatball Molly McCann. <laughs> We are recording. Uh, joining us today, Molly McCann. Hello. 
The crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> you good, lads? Yeah, yeah, really good. You okay? Yeah, I've had I've had two knocko and a coffee, so I'm probably about 380 milligrams of caffeine deep. Nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've had a Coke Zero, so I know how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buzzing. <laughs> So where are you today, Molly? Um, I'm just back in Liverpool. I I say for the last eight weeks, I was in Vegas for two weeks, in Spain for about four or five weeks, and then um, back in Liverpool, man. So nice. You can get my training in, yeah. Oh, so you've been away training? Yeah, yeah. I had a fight in Vegas, then stayed out after my fight, and I cornered the person who actually beat me on my UFC debut. I cornered Gillian and trained. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and then, wow. and then what? And then I went to Spain, trained out there, done a, a grappling competition, and then came home and uh, back to striking again and mixing it all up. Really nice. So, how yeah. how is that a, a strange thing to be like? Oh, I've just you know I I fought against you or like like you, you've got victory over me and now I'm cornering you or is, is that a strange thing to do or is that quite common for you to just go oh that's in the past and now we're doing this well on my UFC debut she just schooled me and she's the, I say she's the best and worst thing that ever happened to me in my life so um I've always kept in contact anyone who's beat me is like a fucking an amazing human because I'm a strong little fucker, do you know what I mean? So <laughs> we've got to give respect where it's due. And um, I messaged her when I was in Vegas. I said, look, do you need any help next week? And she was like, I would love help. So then I was like, Sam, so I just went and helped her cut weight, trained with her. You're in a bubble out there in Vegas and it's not like the hotel's a little bit... I don't know, they're quite... Eh, what's the word? in type also, they're like... It's yeah. a Marriott Inn. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, that. <laughs> I've got to tell you, my room. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I've got my own kitchen. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, they're just a little bit like, but I loved it, mate. I loved it. And I got to go to the PI and it was funny. Like we was training at the Performance Institute and people was looking at us like, didn't she put you to sleep? I was like, yeah. <laughs> or like, Martial arts is about paying a fall. Like, if you're in it to become a true martial artist, it is about the journey. And for as much as, as for me, effing and jeffing, for me, it is a spiritual journey to, like, to the most, like, best person I can be and best martial artist I can be. So if I can help people on their journey as well, and I do, and I did, so it was fun. That's, That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Molly, I mean, you talk about the journey. Can we kind of wind it right back and I'm just interested as to tell me a little bit about growing up you know in Liverpool and and how you got into into combat sports so things were rocky with me mum and my biological father so honestly it was like there was no permanent base in Liverpool it was always moving 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 around pillar to post and then my mum got a job down south in a place called Bournemouth so I ended up down there when I was younger. And I like my last year at primary school and then my whole secondary school experience was down there. And being a scouser in a very like Tory 
Um, a very just conservative part of the way of England, to be fair. But it was just, I just thought, felt like a soft fun. And when I was in school, I'd get bullied, and if something went missing, it was the token scouse joke or the head headmaster or year leader come and get me. And it was just so much. And I'm I wasn't always loud and a, a joker. I was I just went through quite a lot growing up. Do you know what I mean? So I used to get bullied, and then my mum was like, "Right, you need to go to to." martial arts and I was like can I do boxing because I used to watch Ricky Hatton and Roy Jones Jr was like my hero she's like no and I was watching Bruce Lee and I was like well can I do that and we couldn't find no kung fu so I went to karate and then I was just I'd walk in the gym with the dojo and it was like the first place where I was taught respect and it was very traditional it was like stand still don't speak every movement Kia or whatever he was like <laughs> I just remember, I was just like, what the f- I, I just thought it was people from Bournemouth being weirdos, but it was just, it was karate, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then I was like, Mum, please, can I do boxing? Can I do boxing? She's like, no. Tried to go to all boxing gyms anyway, and they was like, no, no, no. So then I started kickboxing. And then I just wanted to fight, and then they wouldn't get me little bouts. So then I went to Thai boxing. And it's funny because my mum was always worried about my face, but then she lets me go and do the the um, the art of eight limbs. Do you know what I mean? Like elbows and knees to this. It's like that. Yeah. But I could start fighting then. I had a few fights at that as a kid. Um, and then I started playing football and kind of jibbed all of that off at like the age of 14. And then like 14... 14, 15, 16, I played for AFC Bournemouth. Just, like, literally played football in the park, got scouted. And then 16 to 20, I played for Liverpool. But when I was playing for them, I was, like, really, really small. And it's like, go to boxing to beef up a bit. So then I was boxing, and then I ended up being really good at that. And then I, I couldn't decide, like, to, to represent your city for one of the biggest clubs, even though it, it was, like, the wrong club. Like, I wasn't wearing blue. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I should have been wearing blue, but I wasn't good enough and Everton was the better team then. And um, I just picked football and then I got injured and then went to boxing and then, I don't know, now I'm talking about 20 years of age. I'd won an ABA title and my weight category didn't get added to the Olympics. So I thought, well, what's the point in doing it if you can't go and get a gold medal? And then I was at uni and I was working in a nightclub with a lad called Chris Fishgold Danny Roberts, two UFC fighters now. And Danny Roberts used to be a boxer and he was like, Mal, come down the gym, move move these gears around. So come down, move them around. And I thought, this is pony, this, like, just lighten them up. Do you know what I mean? Like, Paddy the Baddy is, like, 14 at this point. He's got braces, little skinhead. And I'm just rocking <laughs> in, like, I'm rocking in, like, what's this? And, um, and then I left and then... And then I watched Ronda Rousey on the telly and then, then sent a drunken email. The story goes, sent a drunken email to Paul Rimmer. I want to be like that Ronda Rousey. I'll be in tomorrow. And then five years to that day, I had land the Echo Arena and won the Cage Warriors World title. And then, and then I must have got... It's funny because Paddy, Paddy came out. Paddy got signed a year ago. Sorry, today, yesterday. And two years ago yesterday, I got signed to the UFC. So it was mad out like both our days. Oh, sorry, yeah. I'm, t- I'm today. Mine's two or three years 
I think it's for the years today. I got signed to the UFC. So. And just, <clears throat> I've got a few questions uh, uh, regarding what you just said there, Molly. And growing up, you know, saying that you know you'd you'd get shit and stuff for for you know being the scarce in Bournemouth yeah. and things like that. And then you've gone on to excel in everything that I've that done. You, you, you've done within <laughs> sport. So two questions, like as you know, as a as a young kid and and, and going through your teenage years, was you confident and was you driven? Okay, two di- it'd be two di- I grew up around like alcohol and drugs and I knew I had to be better than that and I knew I couldn't emulate what was around me. Just something inside me, I was like, this isn't normal. Do you know what I mean? I was like, this just really isn't normal. And then I, my outlet was sport and I started everything late, lads. So I started football at 14, 13. I didn't start fighting like MMA till I was like 23, even though I was doing bits of boxing and stuff. And no matter what I put me, dip my toe into, my, how much I would give always beat everyone else's. Like my willingness to learn and work beat everyone's. Like they'd have more technical ability or they'd have more knowledge. But I knew if I was willing to give more and work harder than I, like, I was never the most technical at any of it. But because I just spent hours and hours and hours on the mat or just I'd be the one playing football doing doggies, like no one else was willing to do them. But I was like, well, I'll work harder than you. Do you know what I mean? And um, through growing up and through doing what I've been through, sorry, I wouldn't say I was confident at all. There's a lot of different situations where I go to bits. Like, I could never take a selfie of myself or talk to myself in a camera where I can answer an interview or when a fight. Like, I have, I wouldn't even say persona, but when you fight, I'm just a whole different being. Like, I'm quite sensitive and, like, on the level. And, and you'll probably catch that on my social media, like, the real me. But then when you fight... You can't be nice, do you know what I mean? You have to be. The only way I know how to win is to be like a horrible bitch. <laughs> and, before, and before that, you know, before that persona kicks in, which I'm interested to know, is that during the walkout, I mean, or is that already happening before the walkout? What's what's your routine, Molly, when, you, when you're, you know, backstage in the room and you know you're getting ready to come? Like, what's, you know, what, what what's your routine? So before I got humbled in the UFC debut... I was a bit like Paddy where my coach just said, like, you need to be different from everyone else and not in a disrespectful way. And the way the people who I'd looked to looked up to and the greats were always just like quite candid and um, emotional, smart, but very aggressive. And my fighting style is aggression and I'm from Liverpool, do you know what I mean? So, like, these these are hard streets to come from. And I just think the only way I knew or I'd ever seen people win would just be, like, get in the head. And I just, it's that proper cliche, probably every fighter will say, but it starts at the weigh-in. And when Mike Tyson says, I do not take my eyes off them because the first person has got a chink in their armour, the first person to take their eyes off, off their opponent. And, um, and that's what I do, like, when I go to the weigh-ins, I'm so respectful all week to the opponent. And then when we weigh in, 
it's like it's all changed and it's business and it really freaks people out sometimes like they would not expect me to get in the face or or anything like that but it's warfare so if I think right my opponent could be a bit more technical here than me or something like that I think I'll beat anyone in a scrap so if I can get in your head and make you overcommit and be a bit more emotional then that's what I'm doing Obviously, I don't go to the levels like Connor would do it or anything like that, but um, it's just pure raw emotion. I think that's all it is. But, um, like, it's not put on. So sometimes I'll be there and I won't say a thing. It's just what I'm feeling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've said also that when you go into fights, you, you question yourself whether you're kind of good enough to beat the person in front of you. And, and we've spoken to a few other people about kind of like imposter syndrome, which me and Stu were actually talking about earlier. We think that's a very kind of working class thing to, to have where you're always, I mean, I do it with acting and stuff. You're always kind of that self doubt kind of always creeps in. But when, yeah. when you say that you're, you're questioning whether you're good enough to beat the person in front of you, do you think in a way that that kind of sharpens you, makes you more alert? Or do you think that those nerves that you give yourself could, can be detrimental? How, how, how do you balance that out? You can't always, and it's mad just saying this because I've literally had this conversation with a female boxer. Oh, sorry. I've literally, it's me battery was going on. Literally had this conversation with a female boxer today and I said, like, I feel like I have imposter syndrome sometimes. She's like, what's that? But I think... In school, school failed me and so did higher education. I was just told, like, I wouldn't make it, I wouldn't be good enough. And then I've got people in gyms saying the same thing. So in here and my family's told me, like, you'd be the best in the world if you, if you fucking go for it. So then I've always got, like, the battle of, of like, the good and the evil on my shoulder because I'm like, now I know I am and I've put this much work in. And then you have the little creeps coming in thing, and then you're like, but actually, am I? Am I though? And some fights, I've been able to use it through the whole fight camp. And it just, like, when I won at UFC London, my first ever win, there was no imposter syndrome. I was just like, well, I I just used the negative as a positive and thought, I'm going to show you that famous quote, I'm going to show you how great I am. And then there's been other fights where it's absolutely crippled me. And then I've still got the win. Um... And there's been fights where I've never lost two of anything on the bounce. And the last two fights I've lost on the bounce. And I went back to my hotel room. And then I was sitting with this imposter syndrome, like, am I as good as what I thought? And I think after the, I've got a mindset coach now. And we come to the conclusion that when I lost the fight in Fight Island last summer, my reason, my fighting, mantra kind of changed and it was like I'm just going to be like Donald Cerrone and just go in and have a scrap and but then that's never been me and when that last fight happened and I lost in a similar fashion where I didn't really get beat I just got lay on and then it was like for a strike it's the most annoying thing because Mm. they haven't really beat you they've just lay on you do you know what I mean and then I literally had to start speaking to this mindset coach called Tom Smith and he went Molly you are the best in the world. But he went, I can see it in you somewhere along the line. You've just lost, you've just lost like this belief. And now I just fucking wake up every single day and I just tell myself, no, it takes three good wins. And then you've got a world title shot when when yeah. you've had as many wins as I have. And I thought, fuck me, that's 
I had three wins in nine months. Not last year, the year before. I was like, so I don't know why. I don't know why I'm so hard on myself. But then that could come down to like the trauma of being told you I was never good enough. Do you know what I mean? I think so many people can relate to everything you just said. And talking about kind of mentality and stuff, as you've already mentioned, you you lost your UFC debut to Gillian Robinson uh, in in Liverpool, which must have been heartbreaking and really difficult for you. But then you go on a three-fight win streak. So... how how did that happen for you? Like in, in terms of, of of mentally kind of gearing yourself up for that and getting into that free fight win streak after such quite an emotional blow, I would imagine. Yeah, imagine first woman in sport to headline Liverpool Echo Arena, win the title. Darren Till's there. Paddy's just won best night for the city it's had in a fucking long time, and then three months later, Tony Bellew's there, your hero watching. Arya Stark was there. Do you know how the Game of Thrones? Like, <laughs> listen, I'm walking in, coming out to Cola by Camelfast. These like scousers, they DJ'd me in, coming out, and I'm like, oh, this is my dream. And then I get put in this choke, and then I just thought, ah, oh, I'm not fucking tapping, put me to sleep. Do you know what I mean? So that was like the lowest low of my life, and the PTSD and the depression that followed when I when I walked out. My mum, like, dragged me to the pub. Like, my mum's 22 years clean. Like, she doesn't drink or anything. Never had a drink in front of my mum. My mum's ordered me a cider. She took me aside on my own and she went, you've got an hour to feel sorry for yourself. Then you're going to go and see all your friends and your family and then you're going to go get back to work. And I was like, fucking hell, Sharon. I went, can you just (laughs) give me a minute and let me feel sorry? Can you just let me feel sorry for myself? And she went, no. She went, you'll get through this. I went, how do you know? And she went, because you, you made me, you cut from my cloth. And then I just thought, yeah, you're right. And um, I just done everything I could. I rectified the wrongs. I took the fight on five weeks' notice to get signed to do it. And I, was, I wasn't prepared. And then for the next three fights, I was fully prepared. And I feel like... For me, fighting without a crowd has been a massive hindrance because you've you've seen me fight, so you know when the crowd's here and I'll showboat and it just it gives me like it's like the twelfth man in football. So um I'm lucky enough that the fans are back now f- from this weekend in, in the UFC. And it's this big thing where how can I be like the people's champion or like a queen of the city if every time there's a bit of adversity I go running and like it's painful and it's painful to do it in the public and you don't know like if you've made it in Liverpool you've made it forever here like it's just one of them things do you know what I mean so the, the, the city knows your business and you know the city's business but um, every time I've lost it's this city that's just kept me up because when I'm walking down the street it'll be like Bin men and things go next time, kids. Next time, and you know the kids are walking past me and they go, "Yes, the meatball, yes." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got a couple of questions uh, on that, Molly. A, I mean, the, the, the Liverpool fans. I mean, that night you spoke about where you was on the same card as as, as Paddy and that. I mean, that the, the the crowd there, just just from sitting watching it on TV, was ridiculous. It was just incredible. And so, regarding that that. 
you know, a Liverpool crowd, I mean, we don't get that in London. We don't get that in Essex. It's something special to Liverpool, 100%. You know, I think anybody outside of there is very jealous looking in at the passion that is in that city. Yeah. Um, do you feel a weight of expectation from that crowd when you walk out and you hear that roar? Probably not, but that's the thing that makes me win. So, say there's been, there's a turning point in near enough every fight where it could go one of two ways. And my first ever fight on Cage Warriors, um, I got taken down in the second round. I was at the end of the first. I can't remember, you'll have to forgive me, but it was the crowd that got me up. And then it was the crowd that I pushed through for. And it was the same at UFC London when I broke I had a broken eye socket. I just thought not to light love. Do you know, like I had the whole of, of, of London back of me, but there's something to be said when I've been to the Echo and I've seen the Smith brothers fight on there, Rocky Field and fight on there, Thomas Stork and Natasha Jonas. Like these are the biggest names in boxing that have ever come out there and they they haven't quite sold the same amount of tickets as what Paddy has or when I've been on with Paddy. But when me and Paddy fight, it's different. And it's really different for, like, and maybe if Darren fought in Liverpool, it'd be different. But after me and him wasn't on Cage Warriors again, they never really, they came back twice and the atmosphere wasn't the same. So it's, um, it's just a really special thing. But, I genuinely believe, and I'll put this out there to the universe, me, Paddy and Darren Till will fight in Anfield on a UFC card. Like, I, like, yeah. like Darren's obviously the most well-known. Paddy just had this pull before anyone, before that, like Darren was in Brazil. Do you know what I mean? So the city's still, it's, the city's fickle with them too because they talk a lot. So if they don't produce the goods, then... Like they they get turned on a little bit, but I think with me, we everyone can see I'm just trying my best, yeah. and I'm just I'm just going for it. Like the fans don't really turn on me, <laughs> so I'm like I'm like Switzerland. Do you know what I mean? Everyone. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I think the I thing is though, you're so kind of like. But... I remember that that second fight was uh, in the UFC. Is, is where I, I really kind of re- I think I watched a documentary about the. Um, uh, uh, the UFC coming to Liverpool, and you, and you featured in that documentary. I was like, "Oh, who's who's this Molly yeah. McCann?" Because because uh, you know it's one of those things where the UFC is the kind of thing that most people are able to watch. It's harder to watch Cage Warriors, Bellator, and all these other organisations. Um, so, uh, and I remember you, as you say, you got that broken orbital bone. Your eye blew up massively, and you still. I think the doctor came in to, yes, that's it. You gave the, the doctor almost came in to stop it, but you were revving up the crowd saying, absolutely not. Uh, and then you ran away with seconds to go giving her the finger as well. Yeah, and I was like, I, no way. Yeah. Grabbed your plat, didn't she? Actually, I've heard you in a documentary say she tried to kind of grab your plat and give you a knee, even though you already had the eye. So she was cheating and you, you gave her the finger for that. Right. And I, I went, you couldn't even beat me with one eye. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I'm not going to lie to you, Molly. I sort of fell in love with you from that point on. I became a huge, huge fan. And it's just that kind of level of toughness. I think people have nothing but respect for it. And when someone shows that kind of level of, of heart and toughness, the, the fans just, it doesn't matter whether you it's win or lose. It's a different level of The fans honestly, just go for you. Yeah, my it. bit 
it's the same with Mike Bisbon. It's the same with like Brad Pitt. It was the same. It's like the only way you'll beat us is by putting us to sleep because we're not going to tap or literally like stalling out to fight. And it's the same with Paddy. It's kind of the same with Darren. Do you know what I mean? Like we're willing to walk through fire to put the city's name on on the map. Do you know what I mean? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And in, in regards to the roar of that crowd as well, when you're sort of, you know, in, in the middle stages of the fight and you you connect with a big right, shot... And, and you hear that, yeah, when you're blowing out your house and, uh, and, you, and you land a good number, you know, you land a great shot and the crowd then roars. How hard is it to stick to game plan and not get caught up in that, that roar of the crowd and just kind stuck, of... Listen, I've stuck to a game plan in two fights in my life. One was when I won the world title. And one was when we first fight in America against Ariane Lipsky. I was like four to one underdog. And I knew she was that much bigger than me. I had to. But if I hit you and the crowd go, I am willing. Like, and it, it's to me, it's, what's the word? It begins with D. To my own detriment that I do this, but it's then also why I'm loved because I'm not going in to win by points, even though, my wins in the UFC have been by points. Like, I should have had two stoppages and that, that one with me, I was definitely fighting the night, do you know what I mean? But obviously Darren Till got bingo and they give it to fucking Masvidal. But <laughs> um, it just gives you, like, an extra boost and I need that because I just feel like I'm fighting for everyone. It's never for me. It's always for everyone else. And my family and friends, I had this conversation with Paddy O'Houlihan on his podcast and it was like you have the weight of an of like a council estate and a city on your shoulders like you're the beacon of hope and you're who people live for and like I understand I'm not Conor McGregor level but I understand where I'm from and I understand that some people don't have amazing opportunities and 
like I'm their mate or I'm their family and it's like they brag about it and they're so proud and and they get a bit of like recognition because of their how they are with me or how close we are and then they live for it because as I know I try and bring everyone on the journey like there's nothing hidden in my life a heartbreak a fucking a, a loss and a fight or when I'm succeeding it's all there do you know what I mean it's not that, just I think, Liverpool. Oh, I just think what you've just said there was, you know, in regards to that, that kind of everything is there. You know, it's just heart on sleeve. I think that is why fans pick their favourites, and that's why you've got that following. That's or some of the people you've mentioned. That's why Ricky Hatton had that following. Yeah. That's why Brad Pickett had that following. When Brad yeah. Pickett put them gloves down in that octagon, like there was not a. I've got them as well. I've got them as well. There wasn't a dry ice. Was it his hat? He put the hat and the gloves, yeah. (laughs) Weren't a dry eye there. Because, because like you say, it's that that all or nothing, heart on sleeve, everything's going in there. And and I think that's why people love you. And it's not just just Liverpool as well, because obviously you have such a strong connection with your city, but you are a pioneer for the whole country now because... You know, in that second fight, uh, March 16, 2019, you become the first ever English woman to win in the UFC. I mean, you're now, regardless of what happens, you're in the history books. You're you're the answer to a pub quiz question. You know, that's uh, that's it. How how does that make you feel when you go, uh, that's that's it, it's etched in in history, like first woman from England to ever win in the UFC? Yeah, because there was Rosie Sexton had about three fights and lost them all. And then I lost my first one, so I was like, oh, this is really, really hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking win is hard to get. Um, but I remember the day before UFC London at the weigh-ins when I made weight. Oh, no, on fight day, I put a post up. It was me with the St. George's flag, and I said, like, England will get its first female win in the UFC today. And I remember I was walking in the hotel, and I just burst out crying, and this. This Welsh woman came over to me. She's like, "You're okay." I was like, "I'm about to go make history." Like it was a pure gratitude. And then, um, and then what happened? And then when I won, Dan Hardy was like on my arm, and he was like, "Did you know?" And I kind of was like, "Well, how about that?" <laughs> and then I got rushed to the hospital to go and have an operation, and the man was like wiping the blood. It was the next morning. I was like drunk still, wiping the blood out my eyes, and I was smiling. He was like, "Why are you smiling?" I was like, "I just made history, mate." And then I remember I was on the phone to Ariel Hawani nonstop, and he was like, "I've never met someone more happy with a broken orbital in the life." And I was like, <laughs> "This is one thing no one can ever take away. Like, yeah, you can win a world title, and then someone beats you. They've took it from you, do you know, but no one." Not, and, like, do you know all the girls coming up who, I don't know if they don't like me or for whatever reason, which I don't know why, but they'll never be able to take that away and they'll probably be like, Ugh. I, can't, I can't imagine anyone not liking you, Molly. That's the thing. You're just such a likeable... But we had Arnold Allen on uh, recently as well, and it's just like, again, just such a nice, likeable person. And you, you fit that, and, you know, you've got loads of charisma as well. Everyone, I think, 
I don't know anyone that goes, oh, I, I'm not really interested in watching Molly fight. Everyone wants to yeah. see you fight. And yeah. everyone loves to, to, to listen to you speak as well and, and, and in interviews and stuff, you know. And also know that that night when you sent that, or made that drunken phone call, being inspired by Ronda Rousey, that's what you're doing now. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's kids watching you fight now. And, yeah. you know... First win in the UFC for you know a, a British woman's incredible thing to have you know to your name and then that's that can only inspire. Yeah, that's like my reason for fighting changed after that. It was less about it was more about legacy and it's mad to think like you face winning the UFC and you're talking about legacy because that's something that you'd secure after winning the belt a million times. But it's just a little bit different. It's you know it, I remember after Paddy fighting. And he won the belt in Liverpool and Chris Fishgold did. Uh, all the kids came to the gym. And then I remember I fought on my first cage warriors card and he got beat by Nad and I won. I was I beat some woman. I was like four to one underdog for that one as well. And um, when we went in the gym on the Monday or the Tuesday when the kids class was, it was like 60% girls, 40% boys. And I was like, but like, I just don't get caught up in that. Because people can smell, the, drink their own Kool-Aid, do you know what I mean? And yeah. then you just, you can, I can sit before the accolades when it's all said and done. Do you know what I mean? You, you've mentioned like the young uh, like female athletes coming up and, uh, you know, it seems like you had an affinity with sport. It sounds like your your whole life. But do you think that as a female athlete, there were more hurdles in your way than with the male athletes at all? Yeah. Equality's there in MMA. Um, not enough sports that I've done. And Well, football, there's such a huge, like particularly financial, that it, yeah. and the fame aspect of it as well. It's so different. It is. It's, got, it's getting there. But what I say to people is like, UFC really has been around 27 years. Women have been in it for just over eight and look at where we are. Like, mm. like the, you can't really comment on it there because it's exactly the same. And like Amanda Nunes earns more probably than Demetrius Johnson ever did. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And he's like the goat. But um, there's a woman called Jane Couch and she's like the first woman from England, professional boxer, won all world titles, fought in Vegas. And I feel like she knocked on the door. And then I feel like you've got the likes of me and Natasha Jonas in boxing who have, like, kicked the door in. And then the next generation's just going to breeze through. And um, I would have preferred it to be in this way, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I love being an underdog and having a challenge. And it wouldn't, if it was easy, I probably wouldn't do it. Like, I'm not saying boxing was easy, but it couldn't keep me in off the drink. Whereas MMA, I just, if I turned up on over, I'd get my head fucking choked off, kicked off, knees off, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And so, looking forward, what what can we expect uh, from, from Molly? I was sat down after, and I had to just reassess, when I was talking to me, mindset coach, Tom, to reassess, write my goals, because it's not kind of doing that. I do draft to choose every day and thanking the universe and talk about my intentions, but I wasn't really goal-driven anymore. And then I've just become obsessed with getting my goals. And um, 
after the fight it was to compete in a, that jiu-jitsu competition in Spain and win it. Um, I've got another competition in Valencia in May. And then I'm going to have two fights this year in the UFC and win both. And that's, I'm just, this is where I'm keeping it at the minute. Um, Sponsors-wise, I've just been working on that um, with a couple of people and I'm a bit more financially better off now, so I haven't got to worry about forcing a fight just to get paid because fighters and all that didn't get furloughed, do you know what I mean? So everyone ended up spending all their savings. Um, But I'm in a position now where I'm so happy every day. Like, fight camps for me, there's so much pressure and there's a lot of PTSD, and I'm a happy person all the time, but the pressure of fighting is quite hard. And I'm just learning. I'm just learning to be happy and learning again, because it's very rare. I'm in the gym all the time, so you get some fighters who fight camp fighters only, but I'm in the gym every day, and I like to travel and learn and be around new people, and I've been able to do that recently, and just keep being better, and then the results will come. And that's it. Like my goal for a little while wasn't about being a world champion again. And it's funny to think I've had two losses, but that's all I'm thinking about being is being a world champion again. So yeah. I put a status up. It was like six days, six weeks to the day that I lost in Las Vegas. I won that competition in Spain. And I just said, like, I'll show you all how to hit rock bottom and fucking come back. Do you know what I mean? So it gives you the fire in your belly. And even on my days off, like I don't need to be training twice a day, three times a day at the minute, and I, and I am, because I want to be I want to be the best, do you know what I mean? And yeah. and you can let people go, you're free and free in the UFC then, because I say I want to be a world champion, and it's like, who are you to tell me? No, like, do you think Michael Bisbon ever doubted he'd be a world champion? Like, my course in life has been this, so my course to another way of titles is not going to be like that. It's gone. Do you know what I mean? And I'm going to start on the ascent again, but all is good. All is good. There's one more thing I wanted to uh, talk about, because I've got a little uh, kind of quote here from you that, that, that really interested me, where you said something like, I want people to recognise that I always gave everything in the cage, which is kind of a given. We all see that all the time. But you also said that you want people to also recognise that you have time for everyone, which translates to me as you just wanting to be a good person and known for being a good person outside of the cage. And mm. I wondered why that's important to you, because it doesn't look as important to some other fighters. They, they don't seem to care about what they look like outside of the cage but if you do I think that's a lovely thing so why is that important to you? I grew up with nothing other than a family who loved we all loved each other and the most important thing to us was love do you know what I mean and I just want to make people feel happy or as happy as I wanted to feel when I was younger and I remember I was at UFC 218 in Detroit and it was Holloway and Jose Aldo was headlining and I was uh, cornering someone out there and there was this man and every morning we'd go and have breakfast and he'd like sit you down to the table and I said to him one day, I said, mate, I've never been um, escorted to a table by someone who dresses so amazing and so lovely 
And like he nearly started crying because I could just tell how much pride he took in his job. And me mate Christy just went, that's just your gift, just to notice that and to enhance that. And it's like, why wouldn't you want, there's no ulterior motive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just wanted someone to feel nice for the effort that they put in. And um, I just think everyone should be a bit more like that. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? It costs nothing to be nice, does it? Yeah, that's it. But um, when people have only seen interviews or me fight and then they hear me talk like that or see me, they're like, what? And they're like, I didn't expect you to be like that, like at all. And I was just like, but yeah, like there's women in fighting, especially who are doing like OnlyFans and have a lot more followers than I do because of what the face looks like or because they want to get the tits out. Where I just trying to do it and have a little bit more integrity. But I think like my legacy lasts where my face doesn't. Do you know what I mean? However, when their face goes, they're out the game because they haven't yeah. got time for anyone else. Do you know what I mean? But do yeah. I like when I go to the UFC events? I probably spent about £35 on chocolate before I went. And then when we checked in, all the staff are like went round and give them all chocolate bars. And it was just like, it's like little things like that will always go a long way. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Stop that. It's English chocolate bars, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they need it out there. Those Hershey bars suck. I know. I, know. I mean, in regards to, uh, you know, while we're talking chocolate and that, like... Um, <laughs> How, how do you find like weight came? Pre UFC, I fucking fucked it up. UFC debut, fucked it up. I mean, fucked it up. I just when I started MMA, I was like, no, you cut water. Like when I used to box, I used to walk around at fifty nine, fight at fifty six. In MMA, I'm walking around at sixty eight, fighting at fifty six because <laughs> you cut water. But after that first loss, um, I took my diet. My diet and nutrition became scientific as opposed to the guesstimation, and then that was the the underlying factor to me being more prepared and accountable for myself. So I feel like if you're going to cut weight, it's because you're not disciplined every day in camp, and it's an undisciplined choice. I'll have this chocolate bar and I'll have this takeaway because I'll just cut that in the bath. <coughs> when for me, that's a corner you've cut. Do you know what I mean? So I've lost my last two fights. And I'm sat here smiling because I gave still everything to my camp. Do you know what I mean? Like, the adrenaline dump from the fights didn't go well. Um, but I'm smiling, whereas when I lost the UFC debut, I knew the day I got the phone call, I was out on the aisle. Do you know what I mean? And then it was, like, hungover and then, oh, my God. And, um, yeah, as long as I've been accountable to myself, I've been able to handle the loss. But when you haven't... It's the culture, but it's really changed. It has really changed. The UFC do so much now. Um, people are just uneducated, and now you've got the education there. Do you know what I mean? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Absolutely. There's, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you, Molly. And, How many uh, times have you said this? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We just, you know, I've got loads of questions. And to be fair, if you need to go, that's fine. Because to be honest, I've been nervous about asking this question. No, you um, And you can, you can absolutely blame my wife for me asking this question. But watching this like mini documentary thing that you, you, you've done on, on YouTube, there was a small part in it where we, you talk, you're talking about Wake Up and you were really glad that you had like, come on your period that week and not the week after because it potentially affects like your weight, weight cut with like water retention and stuff. Yeah. And as, as I say, my wife was watching it with me and she's given me the green light to say that, you know, yeah, she's yeah, got yeah. like polycystic ovaries. She gets quite heavy periods. And the first couple of days of like being on, the, a workout for her is just out, out of the question. It's not possible. So when you're kind of getting fights coming in and stuff, are you ever kind of thinking – like, I don't know how much you can plan that stuff, but like, I, listen, I might be on that week or something. That could be really difficult listen, for me. Or, listen, because it's a problem la- that the men don't have, that the women have, and we never talk about it. Yeah. So it's so mad to say that, right? Because the second I get the fight data, check my calendar where I'll be on in my cycle. And then I ring my coaches. And it's funny because we've got a group. So every day I have to put my weight, fatigue level, hydration level mood and quality of sleep and it's funny because I'll put that in and then I'll put painters and decorators being in because that will affect <laughs> my weight and yeah. a woman is 80% more likely to get injured on the first day of the period so really if, if I'm sore um, because the cramps are horrific sometimes then um, I'll ring my coach and say can I just do striking today because it's uncomfortable for a woman to have to train and for him. Well, I feel more uncomfortable about the man being in my space. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, we've got to that point now where we're just smart with it because you have to be like, if, if I was a, a top blagger and like, there's a few fighters out there that are like, that like, oh, I don't feel like training today. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to go in. That's not me. Do you know what I mean? So if I say to my coach, like, I can't walk today. I've been like I can be sick and stuff from my like actual vomit. Yeah, and um, and it paralyzes you, and it's got worse as I've got older, which is is strange. But um, yeah, I'm regular like clockwork though. And um, there was one fight where it got me uh, UFC Boston. I didn't get. I must have only trained once a day, and I didn't get out of bed. I was sick the whole day in my fight. Um, sick before I went in the ring thought was about to be sick in the cage like I didn't even get me victory speech I had to run outside and be sick and then wow. Meg, Megan Olivia was interviewing me I was sick everywhere so yeah wow. just doesn't get to uh-huh. it's one of them things isn't it but I should yeah, it seems the conversations it seems- are happening now well, it seems like a taboo subject and I was genuinely nervous about asking it because I'm always like oh does that kind of paint me as some kind of like 
I don't know, is it like a misogynistic question? No, I was no, about, but like, and so I was nervous about asking it, but I'm glad I did now. I'm glad my wife slightly forced me to do so. <laughs> um, but because it is something that we never talk about and it must have an effect physically on, on you in the lead up to, as you say, weight cuts and fights. Yeah, imagine if it's like a three-month camp and then you're going to have three periods and you're like, oh, that's three weeks out of this camp. That, like, yeah. Oh, but some people don't get them. Like when I used to play football and box at the same time, I never got them. Um, and then when we diet normal, like it all comes down to diet and training. And if you're constantly on a deficit, it just wreaks havoc. So we, um, I'm always on time. <laughs> right, there's one last question I want to ask you. About. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it again. I know. I'm no, you've been so. I've got to go to jujitsu. Oh, well, we won't hold you up any longer. <sighs> Molly, if people want to find out what you're up to, where's the best place for them to, to follow you, mate? Oh, I don't, I'm never off Instagram, to be fair. Um, I love a story. So meatball Molly on all social medias. And, yeah, come and get on it. My me, um, me YouTube channel, I always do, like, a, an embedded series and fight comps just so people can see it. And, um, yeah, that's it, mate. Molly. It's been an absolute delight talking yeah. to you. Thanks so much for your time, mate. I don't be giving no one my number now, lads. <laughs> <laughs> let me know when it's out and I'll, um, I'll post it everywhere. Oh, thanks oh, loads, thanks, Molly. Well, thanks for your it's time. It's been a pleasure. Right? Enjoy the jiu-jitsu. See, See you later. Bye-bye. Oh, how lovely was Molly? Really lovely. Brilliant. Um, I can't help, but I'm going to have to say this. Stu, stop recording. I already recorded a bit of my outro. And Stu, stop recording. So now we have to do it again. Um, it was really good, though, because I just said to Blake, I'm really glad because I knew that um, there were some questions lined up. And I knew that one of them questions was asking about, um, you know, women in, in sport and, the, you know, the effects that that mental, menstrual cycle can have. And... And I was thinking, come on, Blake, don't, don't, uh, don't not ask that question. I think it's really good. And I know you was quite uncomfortable about doing it, but I'm glad you did. And I think it's really important that that that, that, that you did as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I was totally bottling it. I'm not going to lie because I did have that kind of <laughs> thought that, like, oh well, is me asking that question in any way? Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it like misogynistic or anything, but just you know, we talk about we we want equality across the board in in all in all sports and, and i feel like i've already discussed on previous episodes how i feel like mma does that better than most sports but um i felt like oh well obviously you're not going to ask that type of question to a bloke so if if, if i ask uh, uh molly that question is is that in any way no, i don't know because... detrimental to that to that cause of pushing things forward but but in the end she responded so brilliantly to it and i mean how amazing was it that she said that it's one of the first things she looks at on the calendar when she gets a fight offer she's looking on the calendar to see when she'll be on because you know it makes a massive difference i know that every woman is is different and periods affect people differently i mean she said she's actually physically sick yeah. when she's on a period. i mean that's happening once a month to her and i'm sure other female athletes as well you can't train you know if it's the weight cut it's, it's affecting your weight cut. I mean these are massive uh, problems that female athletes have to go through that the male athletes never have to go through and we as a kind of 
MMA community, and I think even in, in the sporting community, we don't talk about it openly enough. So I, I, I'm glad that I asked that question. I'm glad that I'm she glad had such a positive did. response. And you shouldn't have been, you know, awkward about it because the bottom line is the only way that things will change is if people become more educated and the only way you get educated is by asking questions and getting answers and and we've done that today and yeah and I, I think that you know and everything else aside from that question just an amazing insight into somebody from who obviously had a very tricky upbringing and, yeah. and has turned it around and, and and will now go down in history as the first British woman to ever win a fight in the UFC which is first English incredible. woman incredible yeah English woman English Sorry, well, yeah, uh, but still a, a fantastic achievement, and yeah. and she's just such a great character. We just love love hearing her speak. We we love seeing her in the octagon. She's yeah, she's brilliant. We we, we wish nothing but the best for for Meatball Molly McCann. Absolutely. Um, we will be back next time. Um, I'm trying to think who will be on the next episode. Nathaniel Wood. We've got Nathaniel, Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood. Yes. Um, so we've got some. We've got some great fighters lined up, uh, and some great, some great people that you might recognise from the, the the TV coming up soon to do fight or flights. Um, and yeah, I'm just. Uh, I'm enjoying the ride, mate. Enjoying the ride, and remember, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Only positive reviews, no negative reviews, please. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, do do all of that. That's usually your vibe. You usually talk about the rate and review because I don't really know what I'm talking about. But subscribe, do all of that stuff. Like us on the socials, you know, all that stuff that Stu usually tells you to do. Yeah, just do that. <laughs> right, I'll see you next time, mate. Bye.